Episode 127 of Gaming NBS, sponsored by Gamehole Con. Get your ass to Gamehole Con, a gaming convention in November in Madison, Wisconsin. Visit GameholeCon.com for more information. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back for those who have been with us before. Glad to have you aboard. <sighs> Lordy. Sean, did you get any gaming in this weekend? I, this weekend? No. No? No. I had a chance to run um, one of the, one of my, uh, my co-managers for Evercon, Miss Chris Peterson. Chris is not a... She likes board games, card games, that type of thing. It hasn't been like a huge role player. So I ran a 5e game for her today with my buddy Zave and Alpha and Alpha's wife, Sarah. She'd never played 5e either. So it was just the four of them. And I ran earlier this morning. It was a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun. Wow. Really well. That would have been fun. Yeah. So that was very cool. Very cool indeed. Oh, and I got to play, um, uh, da, da, da. um, shit, cold something. That one zombie game I played. There's a zombie holdout game. I'll try to remember what the hell it was. I saw it. It was that really cool. Picture. I like who, who Yeah, I like that posted it up on the old uh Who does it? What was that? Who does it? I'm gonna find out. Hang on. I'm gonna find out who does it. Uh, do, 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 do. As Brett researches that. Um <laughs> one thing I want to point out, BSers are going to OrkCon. So in LA. So if you're in the LA area or you're making the trek into OrkCon which occurs uh, February 17th to the 20th this year, 2017. Uh, looks like Matt Martinez is running Crips and Things Monday afternoon. Chris Shorb is going to be there as well as Christopher Gray. So if you oh, listen, to cool. the, listen to the show and you're going to be out there, make sure you look up those fellas and introduce yourself. And I hope they have a great, wonderful yes, the- con. Yeah, they're cool. They're cool folks. So yeah, get out there, say hi to them. And if you see them and uh, you'll, Hey, I'm so-and-so Brett and Sean sent me, then they, they, there's, they won't get anything for that, but maybe they'll be like, Oh crap, those bastards or something. Who knows? Man, I wish I had a heads up. I would have sent them out bookmarks or something. Yeah. Damn. That's true. Yeah. I've got a bag full of buttons yet. So. Hey, if you're, if, All right. if you're out there and you're going to a con and you want to wave the, the gaming and BS banner, um, let us know. We'll we'll try to send you some buttons and some bookmarks or something, maybe to give away to your game table players, what have you. And if you don't want to hassle with that, that's cool too. That's all right. Absolutely. And if you if you prefer not to let anybody know that you know who we are, we we understand that. Well, that's well. totally understandable. Well, that's that's, totally that's more true. understandable than the hassle. Exactly. Oh, just to go back, is uh, Dead of Winter? Um, it's by Plaid Hat Games. That's the name of the board game I played. It is a blast. I had a lot of fun. I know Mo Tusano. Had said he did not enjoy it, but I had a hell of a lot of fun with it. So that was the that was the game I uh, the board game I played. That was cool. Very well done. Well, thank you. Uh, and another announcement: uh, we have an individual that is a fan of the show who's starting up their own podcast. Another another individual we may have helped inspire to starting their own podcast because they're like see well the goal is as our bar is set so low you just step over it hey, brett and sean can do this well some check could do this yeah. you step over that bar and do your own azriel rocha is right. uh our venezuelan friend who lives in canada 
is launching a podcast called Rolero, Rolero Casual. I'll play a quick snippet here where he pimps that out. Hey, Biancers, how's it going? Uh, this is Azrael. I'm the, that one dude that speaks Spanish that listens to your podcast as well. It's, a, it's an amazing podcast. I could not listen to it. And, and I, I must say that you guys have been an, some sort of an inspiration for me. And I just wanted to, to let you guys know that. Uh, but for everyone that speaks Spanish, if you're out there listening to this podcast, maybe you'd like to try mine. Y si te gusta el sonido de mi voz, puedes venir a rolerocasual.com y escuchar el episodio 0 y el episodio 1. But if you guys uh, want to check it out as well, um, I'll leave the link underneath so you guys can actually go ahead and listen to it too. You guys are, are the best podcast I've listened to. I've listened to all the 126 now and uh, keep it up, guys. You guys do a great, great job. Take care. Bye. So there you have Azrael, and I, that I, was very kind. Thank you. Yeah, I, you it was didn't very. Have to say that about yeah. us. that's that's really cool. And um, when I saw him talking about, he hinted about it a while back. I'm like, I wish. I, I mean, I wish my <laughs> wish I had stuck with that high school Spanish because I would love to listen to it. But I, I mean, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I don't speak or understand Spanish very well at all. So I feel bummed out that I can't. That if I listen to it, I won't catch the coolness. So damn it. But anyway, if you're out there and that's a thing, go for it. It's yeah. Cool. Yeah. So best of luck to him. Uh, oh, absolutely. In doing that for sure. We, we'd love to hear more. Yeah. I don't know. My, me hablo no Espanol. So unfortunately, if it, if he does it in his native tongue, uh, I will be completely lost, but I will do whatever it takes to, I mean, I know some Spanish speakers uh, that would probably love to tune into it. The cool thing that we, we've talked, Sean and I have talked about this, I think on the mics and off the mics, you know, we've got Azrael, um, Spanish speaker, uh, mongrel, and a few people uh, in Australia have listened to us, even just people, different parts of the U S and Canada, like, um, well, Azrael lives in Canada and so does um, uh, Motu Snow and others. And, you know, Wayne and the guys from advanced insight. Anyway, the point is it's really, really cool to see how gaming is global. It's very, very global and how all these different, Groups like, oh my God, that's a thing. This this whole group of people in Finland are are big gamers about this. The the people in the UK, like you know, Goblin's Henchman stuff. Oh, they're gaming too, and this is what they're gaming and how they're doing it. And it's really neat. Um, whether they think what we're doing is complete nutter track or not, but it's just it's really neat to to come to this kind of uh, this medium here, the podcasting thing, and then cross paths with these folks that I never would have had a chance to interact with before without the without the podcast and the Google Pluses, right? I mean, that type of environment to be able to hook up with uh, men and women like Ezreal is just awesome. So thank you, Ezreal. Really appreciate it. And good luck with the podcast. So another component that we want to bring up in announcements, and then we got to get going because we got a lot of uh, random encounters, is YouTube Live is what Brett and I have been doing for the last few episodes. The unfortunate part of YouTube Live is that there is what occurs is called drift. And for us to get good audio is not, uh, it's not awesome. So Brett and I can record on each other's end, but what happens is because Brett is getting my voice at a few seconds of a delay, if I do not let him finish talking or vice versa, what happens is we end up in the audio, if we sync them up on our ends and put those into one file, it, it doesn't work. It, we jump on each other, which involves a lot of editing to separate that drift out. 
So it's something we toyed around. It's something we've wanted to do, you know, have the chat room, have video going at the same time, record our audio, but it may be just something we cannot feasibly do. If we record uh, ourselves using another method between he and I and try to pump it out to YouTube, it's just you can't record, you can't have both audios going at the same time because then you'll get an echo. Anyways, this might be getting a little into the weeds, but one of the things that I take great pride in is having good audio quality, and it is an audio podcast. And, you know, the video is nice, and we really appreciate the folks that want to tune in live and uh, partake in the chat room. I don't know if it's going to be feasible. I think the audio the last couple episodes, you'll notice that it's taken a knock. And, of course, what's happening is we're sacrificing, you know, that for, you know, the the rest of the folks that pick us up on, you know, podcasts like iTunes or you know, Google play or their RSS feed. So it's, it's unfortunate. And I don't know if there's a solution, but I'll look into it, but it, it's just a heads up that we may end up shit can in the YouTube live piece. We'll see. Well, if nothing else, we've got to, we've got to stop it. I mean, one of the things like uh, Mr. Director Mark guys, the advantage they have is all three of them are in the same room. Right. And Sean and I are remote. I'm in, I'm outside of Madison. He's in Madison and just that component of it, the double ender aspect of it makes it hard. So Oh, well, if nothing else, if we have to take a break from the YouTubes, we'll take a break. And if we come up with a better solution, we can always come back to it. So there you go. For those that subscribe to YouTube, I will take the audio file and throw it up there. But it's not it'll be it'll be like it used to with just the splash screen and just our audio um, without the what we call the what they, they call this format currently on YouTube is talking heads. And uh, even then, it really wasn't talking heads because it was just the audio loop. So it, I'm not abandoning YouTube. But the live component is probably in question at this point. So just a heads up. It's unfortunate, but what are you going to do? Um, yep. We'll see. We can, we'll see. What we can figure out. Yeah. If we raise a bunch more money, maybe we'll Brett and I will just run fiber to our houses, and it won't be an issue. But that's unfortunately that would, boy, that'd be handy. <laughs> Although where I live, I don't, I don't know if the people out here could spell fiber. So anyway, <sighs> let's get into random encounter because we got a lot let's, here. Let's do it. What we do. Random Encounter, segment of the show where we field voicemails, emails, uh, comments from social media. I'll let Brett. Brett, the first one I'll, t- I'll take because I, I put that up there and you won't know it. It's what's going on. I was going to say, don't make me read that one because I don't know what the hell that's talking about. Go, man, go. So Larry Hollis, a.k.a. Zero Rules, or X-E-R, and then the number zero, Rules. It's like hacker speak on Twitter is looking for good session zero advice. So I pointed him, he pinged at myself or us, uh, fear the boot. And I think another, another podcast or another individual, I pointed him at fear the boots, um, template group templates, a good starting point, which he's, he's doing, but that may be Brett, a future show. Uh, I think we went over it, but, uh, I don't know if we want to readdress that, down the road, but that's something that we have talked. We have talked session zero before and we mentioned it periodically. So I think it's kind of like what we're going to talk about today. um, Going back and revisiting social encounters and how to build them. It might be worth walking through, not necessarily step-by-step, but some pointers or components that make up a good session zero and the ones I've done, the ones you've done, what we liked and didn't like. So I think that might be worth doing. Absolutely. It's going in the idea bin. All right, let me 
<clears throat> All right, next up, William Arnold poses an interesting question on G+. Have you ever had an NPC fake their death after battle? Yes, I have. Anyway, um, my group is currently hunting down two warlocks that stole something from them. They have what appear to be suicide pills, but the pills really just make them appear to be dead for 10 minutes. I'm hoping the party, quote-unquote, takes them down and walks away from the bodies long enough that they can make their escape. Our problem will be how to, how to word it when they, quote-unquote, die. The group already fought some creatures that have regeneration powers a few sessions ago, so that they may be wary depending on how I word it. I feel, I feel like it'd be too misleading to simply say they're dead, so not sure how I'm going to word it. Hmm. We talked about this on the Google Pluses and to my earlier kind of uh, little in, in, in injection there is that, yeah, I have done that before. And I think <clears throat> it is definitely how you word it. And depending, so this kind of goes to almost to a session zero we type thing with if every time they fought a bad guy and you say, well, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. If your description suddenly changes drastically from the last time they killed the big bad guy to you see him fall, the you know spittle flies from his mouth, he twitches uncontrollably, and then lies still. So like, wait a minute. Every time anyone else has died, Sean just said he's dead. I walk up and cut his head off. <laughs> you do run the risk that, um, and that, that may be a thing, but um, kind of re reinventing the, the death description at that moment could be a little difficult. So depending how you do it, building up to that, that could that could help you or, or hurt you. Um, the other piece is don't be afraid to have it, <clears throat> excuse me, so that if, I guess, if it doesn't work, don't let that wreck your campaign, right? What, what's your plan B? Because the players decide, no, motherfucker's dead, and they're going to, you know, cover them in lamp oil, light them on fire, stomp the remains, cover it in salt, you know, cast curses or something upon whatever's left of the body. You might not be able to "quote unquote" stop that without being overly deus ex machina stomping on them. So, anyway, that's my perspective. Sean, what do you think? Sean's ignoring me. Yeah, I would. I don't know, man. I would. I'd be careful with this just a little bit and ask yourself why they would have these pills for what purpose? Like, is it because they want to go into some stasis of some kind? Um. If it's, if they, maybe it gives if them it's a, rejuvenation kind of thing, maybe. Because if you're just going to. So gonna, if, it's a, if it's a middle finger to the players, you're saying not necessarily a good idea. If it's a story scenario based concept, the better fit. Yeah. If it is a way for you to throw in big bads and then just in case the party takes them out, you can fall back and say, you took them out. They're dead, but they took these pills that made it look like they're dead. So you really just injured them really bad and knocked them unconscious or something to that effect. Or they took it right before you killed them. And so that last hit that you hit them with wasn't really the punishing blow. It was actually the cause of this pill that they took. You know, you might get a player or two that's like, well, that's kind of a bunch of bullshit. I think the other component, too, is that so you've got two warlocks. Um, Kevin and I, Angela, we're battling these two warlocks. We drop them and Sean says they're dead. Oh, great. Cool. We rifle the bodies. We take their stuff. Yep. They're dead. Looking at blood. Yeah. All right. We got them. Sons of bitches. All right, cool. We go on, go on, go on. And at some point, have us come back to that room at some point, have us have a reason to siphon back through that piece of the dungeon, the room, whatever it is, and see the bodies are gone. 
And then we go, what, what happened? Why are the bodies gone? Oh shit. Were they really dead? That's a question I'm going to ask myself naturally. I don't have to go. What do you mean? He's back. Well, he had a pill and he took it and lame, lame. You can kind of avoid that piece of it. I think if through the course of play, they come back through the room, which is, I've seen it done before and I have done it once before. And I, I did the purposeful drag the party back through the area just to have them go, dun, 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 the body's gone. Oh my God. Or they're done rifling the bodies. They turn around, search the rest of the room. Somebody make a perception check, click, they click with the dice. Oh my God, the bodies are gone. What happened? Right. So that's okay. I, I think that's cool. And it, even if the pills are the reason that it made them appear to be dead, um, having the players suddenly discover that the bodies are gone makes it like, God damn it. We have to find those two fucking warlocks and take them down again. And this time we'll make sure they're dead. Then they have a real honest to God vendetta type of feeling versus a, Hey, that game master screwed me perspective. Yeah. Cause they may just equate some of this to their ability to regenerate and not because it's due to some pill, not maybe a big deal. Maybe it's just their conclusion that they're going to come to because they're, they, they are going to ask why in the end, why would these people take pills to feign death for 10 minutes? Yep. And that can be a secret that the player doesn't necessarily ever, the players don't necessarily ever have to find out until like a post-mortem of the game. Yeah, that was really cool. You guys, wow, you yeah, had to kill those two warlocks. Like three times it kept regenerating. Well, guess what, says Sean. You know what, uh, Angela, Kevin, and Brett, they really didn't regenerate. They actually had this alchemical component, this concoction they took in pill form that made it look like they were dead so that they could escape when you guys hit your back to them. Like, oh, damn it, that's sneaky. That's cool. Um, or, or in the game. Or it's a way to fake their death because they want the player characters to think that they're actually dead. Like, like you know, hey, I, I'm sick of life. I don't want anybody to track me down. I'm just going to take these pills. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get autopsy. The coroner is going to write me off as dead. And then when the time is right, I'm going to swap out myself with a different body or I'm not going to get buried and somebody's going to come and get me out of my casket. And then I can go off and pot, plot and whatever because everybody thinks I'm dead. Yeah, no, I can see that. That's a good idea too. So I think in general is that not only the description itself, but something in pretty short order, in Brett's opinion anyway, where the players come back through the room, they make that perception check, they hear a strange noise, they go, oh, crap, they're gone. What happened? And then it leads them on like, oh, my God, we have to find these people type of thing. Or what did they overhear while we were searching the rest of the room or going through the castle or where whatever happened? So it's a cool question. And, and uh, there's some discussion on the Google Pluses about it. But uh, if anybody else out there has done the whole NPC fake death um, thing, I'd like to hear about it because there's probably there's more ways than just what Sean and I have come up with right now. So I'd like to hear what other people have to say. Shane F calls BS on GMs. Ooh. Okay. I've held out on calling BS before, but on dragons, I just have to say something. But I'm not calling BS on you guys. I'm calling out all those DMs and GMs who make hunting dragons easy or simple. Dragon intelligence ranges from low, white dragon, to exceptional, red dragon, and higher. A low intelligence dragon might be a brute killer, but since most dragons are of higher intelligence, they absolutely should be played with intelligent machinations. Yeah, man. Absolutely. 
Case in point, in the early 90s, TSR put out the Dragon Mountain box set adventure. A quick synopsis without... This is one of those box sets I wanted that I never bought, and I am on the hunt for it now. Carry on. Sorry. So if you come across it, let Brent know. Absolutely. A quick synopsis without too many spoilers. One great worm, red dragon, and several thousand clan-based and gilded tuckers, tuckers, kobolds. See Dragon Magazine 127. It is a meat grinder. The dragon and her kobold minions harass the party all the way through the ancient dwarven city, stripping the party down bit by bit until they are physically and mentally exhausted. Years ago, I ran a party through the mountain, and for most of the adventure, it looked like they might make it. Party composition? One fighter of the frozen north with a special magic sword against fire-based creatures. Unfortunately, the character was brought in by the player, admitting that he took double damage from cold. He spent most of the adventure running around in nothing but a loincloth and his sword. (laughs) Okay. Hot. Nice. One wild elf assassin, one dark sun halfling, mage slash air elemental priest of the cool sea breezes. His catchphrase, not mine. One minotaur dragon rider without a mount. Neither, neither the other characters nor their players knew they thought he was just a fighter. And sundry other minor characters, several of which played by the same player whose characters died about every other session. So after weeks of slogging through cobalt traps and poison everything, the party finally made its way to the dragon's lair. Since dragons are well-equipped spellcasters, see 2E Dragonomicon, she forced the party to waste much of its more powerful attacks on illusions and a polymorphed kobold pretending to be the actual dragon. Eventually, eventually they were confirmed by the real dragon, at which point the Minotaur used his dragon rider befriending ability on the dragon. She fails the check and kindly allows him to step aside. Players all look across the table in astonishment that quickly turns to disgust. The warrior of the north stands defiantly in front of the dragon, cursing the minotaur with a short and painful death. The dragon lowers her head, bringing her face even with the warrior, inhales, and lets loose the full fury of her breath weapon. 24d12 worth. All day long. I can take that all day long. (laughs) Holy crap. Stand fast, soldier. He fails his safe. And as I described it, turns him into a large charcoal briquette. The party falls into chaos. The assassin uses her cloak of the bat to hide in the cavern roof, searching desperately for an escape. The The grabs... They grab hold of who and what he can carry and quickly uses an astral spell. He, he grabs hold of who and what he can carry, quickly uses an astral spell, the specific one I have forgotten. The moral of the story, never, under, never underestimate anything old, large, and with spellcasting abilities, it will always go horribly wrong. Brett made a statement during the podcast about liches and other creatures being scarier for players than dragons. Played correctly, dragons should be as equally, if not more, terrifying. Think about it if you look at those powerful creatures that live a very long time. What else is something like a lich or a vampire going to talk to that really understands long plans and evil plots but the ancient red dragon? Shane. 
Whew. That's, um, you know, I think that's, that was kind of maybe if there was a point to our last podcast, <laughs> if, if we stumble upon a point, regardless of our uh, attempts. Um, and this is something that somebody else had brought up uh, is the concept of GM styles. I think one of the other it, is sometimes there's still so much in many different games, how the GM does the thing, right? If they treat a dragon like a bundle of hit points that goes through a very formulaic one, two, three, and is not creative or isn't thinking like Shane is talking here. Yeah. They're kind of just a bundle of juicy hit points and experience that you just siphon off with a straw. So I, I like this. I think this is a, I think this is a good example of what could and should be done. So very nice. Thank you, Shane. Anything from you, Sean? No, go ahead, man. All right, man. Rodrigo Beowulf, uh, Bellathorn has something to say about dragons on G+. Hey, guys, great episode about dragons. I have an idea to share about a different way to use them. Dragons have huge lifespans and even greater treasure. Some dragons are clearly antisocial, especially those of evil tendencies. But kinder dragons could think of different ways of keeping their treasure, like having a whole city or kingdom around it. I can imagine a dragon hiding or disguising itself to manipulate an entire race, keeping them as pets or minions. Soldiers can be useful for protection. Farmers keep livestock, which serves as food. And a fully functional economy can use the dragon's assets and increase the gold reserves over time. The kingdom and its ruler can remain oblivious of the dragon's presence, or maybe a few key personnel could know of its existence. In time, a powerful kingdom could rise with very interesting plots and NPCs. Maybe it's been done before, but I still find it an interesting way to use dragons in an unusual form. Certainly different from just being a huge stack of hit points for players to murder, murder and loot. Anyways, I really enjoyed the podcast and hope one day to meet you at a con. Stay awesome. Love from Brazil. So, Rodrigo, I would say um, I've commented back on Google+. Plus. I have, like I mentioned before, having a dragon, the closest I've come to this is having a dragon the head of a thieves' guild, where he's kind of building and manipulating and machinating and doing all that cool stuff, where his second, third lieutenants, the people farther out from the dragon itself, don't know it's really an honest-to-God dragon that's running the show. Um, I love the idea of a dragon being behind the kingdom, especially when you think about the dragons and... Um, with their shape-shifting or being able to assume a human form or an elven form and then being the power behind the throne, right? So you've got that king and the grand vizier or the queen and and her grand vizier whispering in her ear is actually this huge ancient gold dragon who's just trying to make sure the elven kingdom does what it's supposed to do. Uh, far away, there's a red dragon perhaps doing the same thing. Yeah, they, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, they may be antisocial to a point, but there's also no reason why they wouldn't want to have and control different things. And there's, if you add personalities to the dragons and why they would behave a certain way or whatever, that could be really, really cool. So I like that idea, Rodrigo. So thank you very much, sir. You good, Sean? Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention, and I'll give credit to Discern Realities podcast uh, and the group over there. I think it was Ray Otis, if I'm not mistaken, on episode 39. I thought it was Ray. I could have the person mis- uh, incorrect, but they mentioned about a uh, dragon in, in like a dungeon world game. So discern realities is a dungeon world podcast. But oh one, yes, 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 yes. But one of the things he had thought about was making in a dragon lair. Like, so if you've ever watched the show, like hoarders. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so if you haven't watched the show hoarders, it's folks that have, you know, they're hoarders. I mean, they, they have a, um, they don't get rid of, they basically live in absolute filth and clutter and collections of stuff they won't get rid of. You'll have people who literally have stacks of newspaper 
from floor to ceiling um, that cover a room because they won't get rid of anything. And and it is a psychological thing that that they have to overcome in order to to get rid of that. I mean, it's like a big ordeal. Uh, And anyways, but he said that he wanted to do like a dragon's lair that was like that. So you go in there and it's everything. The dragon, you know, the dragon has that condition where they just – collected everything and so you go in there and it's just a mounds of stuff everywhere and the dragon's not even there but then you always have this you know thing in the background where the dragon is going to come in any minute now and what are you going to do when you're in this so it's not just a mound of gold it's you know wagon wheels and carts and maybe it's the top of a, a church spire or something like that and you know he, yeah he's got trophies right right so I've got some deer antlers on the wall, and instead of deer antlers on the wall, he's got you know the the the, the ship he ripped out of the, the first ship he ever tore out of the ocean, you know, off the sword coast. He's got it stuck in his cave because it was fun to do. Uh, I can see that. That's kind of neat. Yeah, just another take on the, a, a dragon's lair that some people may not have thought of. And I, when he mentioned that, I'm like, oh, that's freaking awesome. That'd be a cool. So that's cool. Yeah, Tony. Some the- of this stuff comes down. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Brett. No, you... I was going to say some of the... Oh, thanks. No, let's, just, let's just keep stepping on each other. Let's make it worse on YouTube. That's what we'll do. Um, so I think some of the some of these pieces from running the game, as I did earlier today, for two people who are very new to gaming, I pull out a lot of old tropes. And I actually used a scenario I've used a bunch of different times. And both Alpha and Zave are like, oh, I know what this is. They let the new players take the lead, make the decisions, because it's all about them having fun and really enjoying the game and getting to understand it. Um, but some of these things are ways to do when Sean and I bemoan the fact that there's no mystery. I've lost some of the intrigue or, yeah, I know what a dragon is, blah, blah, blah. Doing these types of things take old hands, guys and ladies that have been playing since, you know, third grade like Brett. You know, you get someone like if Brett and Angela sit down at a game table, we've probably seen a lot of different things. And to pull out something like this, even if I've seen something similar to a dragon hoarder, I'm like, oh, that's a cool, that's a cool thing. That's neat. And then you get on board with it. You think it's interesting. And just one more shout out to the guys at Misdirected Mark with the Trask. The thing that I should say in Coded Designs, the thing that John Arcadian has done with the Trask with his the book of the Trask is taking that critter, which is basically normally just a huge you know campaign world-ending monster, and turn it into something interesting. It's a different twist on that creature. And when you do that, you take something that's very standard, like a Tucker's Kobolds, and uh, you make them interesting again. So anyway, I like this stuff. This is good. All right. So what do we got next? Edwin calls BS. It's a little self-referencing to call BS on calling BS, but that's what I'm doing, says Edwin. Mongrel, I think it was, wrote in to ask about how to help players and GM learn new systems. I feel like you guys immediately took it in the worst way and deprived yourselves and us of the chance to have a good discussion. Here's some advice. Uh-oh. Um, we might be in trouble, Sean. Well, that's, Edwin continues. The first problem is like looking to us for advice. <laughs> that may be the first problem. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Edwin continues. It sounded like he was looking for advice on how to learn a new system, not how to force somebody to learn a new system. I'm just calling BS, and I'll let you guys pontificate. One thought I had to start you off was to spend a little more time with the intentions, with the intention section of the rules as opposed to the mechanics. A lot of uh, games come with a preference or introduction where the author explains what she or he is trying to do with a game. I think trying to understand that and really internalize how it is different from whatever goes uh, one goes to one's go-to game can go a long way to help a person get into the new game. What are some of your ideas? Cheers and more dragons, says Edwin. 
I'll tell you what, Edwin. I did not look at it that way, and I think, goddamn, I think he's right, Sean. What do you think? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. They are, our listeners are smarter than we are, which is why we do this show, so I can learn from people. That's right. So, <laughs> excuse me. I'll tell you what, Edwin. I'm going to take this one, and I'm going to put it into the idea pile. I think this is a show, dude. So this is going to go back onto the list, and we'll bring this one out. But I think you're right, Edwin. There's There's a better way to do it. We kind of went very black and white. Oh, here's how you essentially force or, or cram somebody into, into that square peg round hole thing. And there's better ways to do it. So, Hmm. I like that. It's going in the list. I've got the list open right now. Yeah. It was a random encounter. So we, we didn't set aside like, well, let's, let's hash out a really good solution to this thing and talk about it for 20, 30 minutes, which is something we could do, obviously. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's definitely, I think it's definitely worth it. I mean, a guy like Edwin, you know, when one of our listeners says, Hey, there's more to this. It'd be worth looking into. I, you know, our listeners are smart people, so by God, it's on the list, man. Tony, okay. Tony the Butcher Baker shares his thoughts on politics and gaming. My experience with gaming and politics has been both amazing and frustrating. Good news first. We were playing a second edition game when we basically all gained fiefdoms and rank within a kingdom. I was the highest ranking member in the party, becoming the Lord Protector of all the realms. This meant that while we all had personal armies allocated to our fiefdom slash duchies, I also controlled the kingdom's army. This was great for two occasions. First, we were negotiating with a, a neighboring kingdom, which meant that prior to arriving for negotiating, our giant army showed up on their border to ensure, quote unquote, border security. Then there were some political disputes going on within the party. One of the members refused to participate in a quest because he was busy overseeing his kingdom. Since we couldn't declare war on each other, I did the next best thing. I camped our huge orc army inside his borders on, quote-unquote, training. The most fiefdom, the host fiefdom, was legally obligated to feed and provide for the national army. He went nearly broke attempting to resist my will. <laughs> the bad experience I had was in our evil campaign. Because I was a driven, focused character hell-bent on achieving political standing, I was frequently the driving motivation of the group. This meant that things constantly happened to me. I often felt like an NPC who had no control over what was happening. So overall, I like the intrigue and machinations of politics, but I think the GM has to be careful to make the player feel like they are gaining ground. I'll tell you what, um, that's a very good point, uh, Tony. One of the things I used to have a problem with in my vampire games back in the day is that someone would battle their way and become prince of the city. He or she would be in charge of Chicago. Great, they're the vampire prince of Chicago. And he or she is doing their best, and she's trying hard. And next thing you know, the duties and everything else, just stuff starts happening to you. I used to do that thinking, ha-ha, I'll show you. This is how hard it is to be the, the one on the throne, and there's so much stuff, blah, blah, blah. If that happens all the time, every time, it does get very old and is incredibly frustrating. Doing it every once in a while, it's like, you know, it's like salt on, on food. You know, a little bit's good, too much. You're like, oh, my God, that's, that's just too much. You, you need to be able to, as the game master, you're absolutely right. You have to be careful, make you feel like you're gaining ground. Every once in a while, to stymie you, with a whole bunch of uh, things that are happening to you is fine in a political arena, but you can't have that happen all the time, every session, every time you're trying to do anything, because that will just that'll just frustrate the living hell out of you. I agree. 
All right. Sean, do you have anything on that one? No. All right. All right. So Mr. Steven Dragon Spawn writes in about Christopher Gray's encounter with Strahd scenario he ran. Hello, S and B. It is I, the Dragon Spawn. Oh, and by the way, Mr. Dragon Spawn, I am looking forward to pictures of your completed house. Um, Mr. Dragon Spawn has been posting pictures of his house building in progress on Google Plus. And I follow him and it looks really, really That's cool. It's a really so, nice freaking house. It's a gorgeous house. I just keep hoping at some point, Sean, I'll be somewhere nearby where we can run a game in this place because it looks just fucking awesome. Yeah, anyway, nice. anyway, Dragon Spawn continues. I've enjoyed episode uh, 126 Dragons. I have a suggestion for the DM who ran the quote unquote to kill Strahd adventure. I agree that the DM did everything within the rules. He didn't get frustrated that the players ruined the story and didn't just DM Fiat that Strahd got away. But I have a suggestion for that DM. He could have had minions of the vampire lord appear to assist their master. Ghouls and vampire spawns could be a reasonable creatures to appear and maybe given Strahd a chance to escape. Keep on gaming. Keep on BSing. Have a great day. Regards from Steven Dragonspawn. That, Mr. Dragonspawn, is a goddamn good idea. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times, this is similar. It's kind of like the dragons thing, right? Where does the dragon have minions, dragonborn, kobolds, things around him to help him out, as we as we heard about earlier? Um, yeah, I don't know if time permitted or whatnot, but yeah, you could always do that. If if Strahd, as I am assuming Strahd does, I've not read the adventure, has minions, lesser vampires, ghouls, anything out there that would uh, conceivably come to his call or be willing to show up, yeah, you could have easily distracted the uh, the players that way. So. Excuse me, that, uh, that's a pretty good idea. What do you think about that one, Sean? Yeah, man. It's kind of like real life, right? When you get you uh, have somebody or a few people doing something and they're not doing it right or the way you need it to and that you just need to do the damn thing yourself. That's the way it should be. So as a game master, send a bunch of crap at the player characters. And then, you know, as, a, as playing that frustrated, big, bad, evil NPC... You, you go, God, they got through my hordes. They got through this. They got through that. Ah, damn it. I'm just going to have to freaking deal with it my own self and then go in there and put the big hammer down. Yeah. I just love this. Is, I mean, just love the fact that Strahd is a bat. He's, he's grappled. He can't get out and <laughs> he's stuck. It's terrible. It's an awesome story. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. If you haven't listened to it, if, even if all you listen to is that, is that um, bit of a uh, random encounter. That was fun. But I do like if you want to take it that next level, as uh, Mr. Dragonspawn says, I mean, just take it and bring some bad, bring some more bad guys in. Right. If you're in a hallway fighting Strahd and you've got them captured in bat form, have uh, two vampire spawns show up and start laying into the party, especially the man or woman who's holding on to Strahd. Have them jump them or, or There's have, ways you could do it. Yeah. Or have Strahd stand there in the back. Just watch. Like all out defense, just watching, you know, or whatever. Well, Strahd's the one that got caught, so he couldn't do anything. No, I know, but I'm saying like send in the bad dudes with Strahd and have Strahd just sit there and just like do do do. I'll take care of my, you know, here, here's some minions. Oh, so instead of Strahd showing up by himself, have him come in with like a fistful of minions. Yeah. I mean, even if it's a few. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a ton. And then just, you know, when everything's like kind of coming down and everybody's tired. Then he comes okay. in and puts the big hammer down and hopefully he doesn't get caught by in bat form. As Christopher nice. as Christopher Gray. I think he he might be running out of Orcot. I don't know. That would be cool. I know <laughs> if how, someone's listening to this year. I know how to get around that adventure. <laughs> <laughs> grapple him, grapple him, grapple him. And then Christopher Gray just beats you with his, his dice bag or something. Right. All right, next one's yours. 
Todd Kreber on Dragons via Google+. Almost done with this week's episode on Dragons. I couldn't help but think about my go-to tactic for bringing these giant bitches into adventures here and there. Ah, kudos for him for using bitches. Forget about the challenge ratings or whether the PCs can handle a dragon of that size. The first time I ever used a dragon as a DM was to get the PCs to arrive in the, in the middle of an island through a portal and race to the beach where they would find a boat and paddle like hell to escape. The dragon was something like CR-15 Dracolich, and the party started off at third level. Whoa! No, sir. Fuck. That, that's going to that'll make a party load their pants. Yeah, that'll leave a mark. Okay. No sooner had I described the skeletal terror of this monstrosity, they all looked at me and asked how they were supposed to defeat it. <laughs> quote, dunno, that's your problem. End quote. <laughs> yeah. And pretend to act as if I was trying to fight them on purpose, knowing they stood no chance. They ran as I hoped they would. Sometimes placing actual fear in the players' hearts doesn't require saving throws or in-game mechanics. Sometimes it all comes down to making the players believe the real monster in the game is the DM, and he's hungry for blood. I have to say, Todd, that uh, I've used that a few times myself, and it does indeed work. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's good I did money. something... I, I w- I think we've done things like that somewhere, at least everybody has, perhaps not with a dragon, but even this this morning when I was running 5e, I had four first level characters and an ogre kicks in the door and like, oh my God, it's a fucking ogre. The the person in the room with the most hit points had 15. Like, we're going to die. We can't fight this ogre. Ah, free. And it was all tactics and how, what they could do and how do we run away? Free action. Run. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, everybody, for writing in and commenting. I know we had a good turnout this past week, so we appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. It's like we learn a lot. Our listeners are smart people. Yeah, let's get into main topic. Holy cow, man. You got like five minutes to talk about the main topic. I'll go fast. What are we talking about this week, Brad? So, excuse me, Azrael pointed out to us that, well, Sean and Brett failed to talk about how to actually build a social encounter when we talked about social encounters. We talked a lot about kind of mechanics and tools, that type of thing. But let's see if we can fix that or at least talk about how we have used social encounters themselves, at least to try to make them interesting. So my first thought was, you know, I looked at that and said, okay, Azrael's got a damn good point. How do, how do I actually make a social encounter that's fun or interesting? And you can do the, I've gone overboard and every shopkeeper and everyone you try to talk to becomes a incredible social encounter with all these crazy wackiness. Um, but generally speaking, I look at the social encounters that if there's knowledge to be gained of some kind, even if it's such, such a thing as, hey, I met somebody who... Um, sells baked goods on the streets of Avalon. And it's nice to know this person. I can have a five minute encounter with that person. They learn who she is, her name, what she sells and why it's the best in the neighborhood. And that's all they need to know. And they could just move on. They could use that knowledge if and when they want to. Um, or if they run into a big bad guy and they're having a discussion in, in a court in front of the King or something, you need to try to ferret information out or you're trying to interrogate somebody or whatever. The main thing 
for social encounters that when the characters leave it, whether win, lose, or draw on the social encounter, they have learned something to come from it. Kind of from the gumshoe perspective, it's an investigative thing, really. When you walk out of that piece, you should be able to say, hey, we have learned or gained something. Even if it's like, wow, we've learned another question that we don't have an answer to, or we learned that what we thought was right isn't right, or we've learned that we still don't know what the fuck is going on. That's a legitimate thing, in my opinion. So, Sean, do you have, when you think about social encounters, do you think of them like that? Or what do you think, like, make, makes them worth having, I guess, perhaps, is the, is the question. Man, I love social encounters because I get to role play one of my cool, awesome NPCs. Which always has an accent. Which is non, a non-originated, <laughs> like a... Brett, maybe, it's almost like a Thuloid, non-Euclidean accent. Brett, maybe you just haven't been to the country that I have an accent uh, taken after. Maybe you haven't Sean met Stan. a. Maybe you haven't. <laughs> maybe you haven't met a person from there yet. I, I. That's probably not. That's probably not true. That's probably true. But no, I think I think you're right. From the game master perspective, just selfishly speaking, it is a great opportunity for us to flex our, you know, our role playing muscles. Get the opportunity to play. The uh, the baker, you get the opportunity to play the guy, the um, the person who is the street guard, captain of the guard that they're talking to, the magistrate they're talking to, the um, the captain of the spaceport, the the guy in the alleyway who's trying to sell you information, whatever. It is. There's a chance for the game master to um to role play instead of always just describing the setting and they do this or this happens and the sword swing does this. It's um, another way to. Not only, like I said, deliver knowledge, and even if it's in something is uh, just raw flavor of the environment, how people act or what they talk like or and that type of thing. But uh, yeah, that's a very good point. It's just a chance for us to, as game masters, to flex our role-playing muscles a little bit. That's cool. Yeah, and a social encounter doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be mechanized. It could just be that. It could be role-playing with an NPC and maybe you get a... Maybe you get thrown a bone on something, or it's just simply that something that enriches the campaign adventure or the situation itself. Yeah, I think that's a good point, is that a good social encounter does not require the mechanics to be deployed or employed or used or however else you want to use, uh, say that. You can have a back and forth with a garbage man just as just BS and talking to him or her, and she says, yeah, you know, Boy, I've been by this place, you know, every week and they never seem to have any trash to throw out. I think that's weird. Okay, you could make somebody roll for that, but if you're having fun and you're just having a conversation back and forth, well, guess what? Your spies in the Cold War game that you're playing find out that there's not a lot of garbage that comes out of that building. Hmm, that feels weird. Does that have anything to do with anything? Eh, it's just one more weird thing. So again, there's knowledge gain. There's something to be found. And I, in a social encounter, I look at, Knowledge is not only just plot forwarding, but environment forwarding. You've told people about how things operate. Um, the other piece, I, and I alluded to this before, and I think, Sean, tell me if you agree, but can you have too much of a good thing, like social encounters all the time, nonstop, where everything's a discussion? Well, sometimes social encounters escalate to something more. So sometimes it's on the players that, that, I mean, you could f throw it out there and say, maybe they're, you know, James Bond, he always has some meetings with the big bads and it's always a social encounter. And then he gets whooped up on and tied up and a laser pointed as nuts or something. But it's, 
you know, it, it starts out kind of monologue or whatever, but then it turns into, um, it's going to shoot, there's going to be a shootout or. Something. So I'll tell you what, what I, <clears throat> what I just got from there is not only are the players gaining information, but my NPC that I'm playing, I'm getting information. That's right, Brett. So if I'm the bad guy and I'm talking to you, Mr. Bond, Mr. Kelly, Mr. Sean Kelly, I expect you to die. Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. (laughs) That's one of his accents, folks. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, depending what the players do, they can expose data that the bad guy can use, right? So that individual they're talking to, that garbage person they're talking to, is talking to Ange and Sean and uh, and Kevin's characters, and they say something, and they walk away, and Chris goes, what did you say? Well, yeah, I told them, you know, we're kind of interested in this house and blah, blah, blah. Why did you tell them that? Oh, shit. Well, the garbage man works for them. What if this? There's all that type of, especially if you're playing a high intrigue spy type of thing. That can be a blast. But the, the player characters, anything they divulge to an NPC is fair game. Right. For you in your plots and machinations. Oh, they just said this. Guess what? The dragon's coming <laughs> because they just said a thing that works its way through the through the network. And, you know, the dragon being whatever the bad thing is that that could happen to him. So that's a good point. So you know, I, yeah, I played I like that. I played. Uh, so I ran forget about it. Forget about it from just your imagination, um, which is a one shot with mobsters from 1964. I mentioned this on the show before you have an account in your trunk and you got to take them to a, a place 240 miles, four hours, four hours, con game time, four hours to the place that you need to get rid of them. And one of the things I threw at the player characters was just, you know, they, they, they ran into an issue or something alongside the road, flat tire. And coincidentally enough, a tow truck was coming their way and the tow truck stops to make sure they don't need any help or, or maybe he can, Get some business from them. Well, the tow truck is, you know, fits Fitzgerald's towing. Fitz, uh, Fitz is like 90, 900,000 years old and moves really, really, really slow. But you got a guy in your trunk. You know, it's a social encounter, right? So Who it probably doesn't want to be in his trunk, right? Because he's not really wanting to be there. Right. They open the bang, trunk every bang. once in a while and try to like punch him and sh- tell him to shut up. But you know, here's Fitz, you know, he's like, well, let me go get my wrench. So, so the other fun, what, what, happens, you're telling me, what happens with these, you know, what do they do with this? So the fun part about social encounters is they are really great random encounters in a way, right? We're like, well, it would be really unfortunate right now for the spies carrying the body out in the, uh, in the rolled up carpet is if the janitor holds the door open for him and says, oh, hey, they, they changed the carpets out of old room 212, huh? Yeah, it's about time. Yeah, look at the stains on that thing. That looks bad. And just that banter, the spiders are like, fuck, is that blood? Did the blood leak through the carpet? Oh, my God, that could be bad. So <laughs> social encounters just for ratcheting attention, ratcheting up the tension. <coughs> Excuse me, damn it. For ratcheting up the tension is awesome. It, having that seemingly random person, you know, fits his tow truck. He probably is an absolutely innocuous 9,000-year-old man <laughs> who's just trying to make a living in these mean streets of Nevada or wherever the hell he is, towing trucks periodically. And uh, he's not going to do anything bad, right? Do the players kill him? Do they try to send him on his way? Do they give him a thousand dollars to pretend they've never seen him before? What happens? Um, right there, it becomes this huge stressful thing, and there's really, quote unquote, nothing to it other than what the players make of it. And to me, those are fun. 
those are interesting components. I think when I talk about can there be too much of a good thing is that you can't have – Sean can't have five tow trucks show up. They'll be like, really? Really fucking five tow trucks, Sean? Two, That's a lot. Two would That's be cool. Two would be cool because then you'd be like, be hey, hey it's my customer. No, it's my customer. And then you get get those two arguing while the mobsters are sitting there trying to like get their show on the road. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> funny. Um, but it's kind of the what would be an interesting social weirdness. So you take a any movie where there's a bizarre social back and forth that you've seen, or it's how do I do this? So even something as innocuous as in Lord of the Rings, when Frodo and, and I shouldn't say Frodo because if you through, through the book, when Samwise is at the is in the Green Dragon Inn in Bywater, and they're talking about the rumors and things that have happened, you learn that he doesn't like he and Ted Sandy Man don't get along. Okay. It's interesting. It doesn't necessarily further the plot or do anything crazy within the book, but it's an interesting piece and also gives the player character a chance to take a piece of their personality and put it forward, role play that personality. I get to role play. I get to learn something about you as a player. I get to dig into all that background information, the page and a half of background information somebody wrote up that you think would be really cool. Give them a chance to interact with someone. That's a great opportunity for that. They get to learn about the setting. Um, and I think from how do I build the encounter? One is social encounters are equal to or greater than, in, in my opinion, a combat encounter. And don't be afraid to have the social encounter that happens on your random chart or however you do uh, the quote unquote random encounter. Have that social encounter have the potential to escalate to a physical encounter. Right. I mean, there's we've talked about this before. The old idea of you're in the dungeon, you're battling, you're battling and the goblins say quarter, quarter. They raise their hands, throw their weapons down. Please don't kill us. Don't kill us. My name is Squee. I will tell you everything about this dungeon, sir. OK. And then that is that's an old hat one. Right. But anything when the goblin comes upon you the first time all by himself in the dungeon and he squeaks and points at you and says, I'll show you where the treasure is. You're like, what? Wait, what? I What? Start off social and then it can devolve or escalate into a combat encounter depending what happens old fits with the tow truck that could turn into somebody getting shot in the head for real right or it could devolve into fits being in the cab somebody opens the trunk fits makes a roll he reaches over grabs a cb pulls the cb towards his mouth he's about to key what do you key the mic what do you do what do you do oh fuck bang i shoot him he's got to be calling the cops <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's not. Because you open the door and it's his wife. Fitz, you coming home for dinner? Come on now. You know, oh, crap, killing us, man. So that's that stuff can happen. Don't be afraid to take a social encounter and let and let the players run with it. If they're when they're done with it, when they've had enough, they talk to uh, the woman who sells baked goods on the streets of Avalon. They learn that sh- that she's a nice lady. She sells great sticky buns. She's got really great coffee. We're done. Move on. Don't drag that out for for an hour of discourse on the types of donuts she sells because nobody gives a fuck. If they're having fun working around Fitz, the tow truck guy, trying to figure out what to do while his old man, you set the stage and he just kind of plods around his truck, always checks things out. I got to make sure the chains are up. One's dragging one. You know, it becomes this tension thing. But when the players are physically or you can see that they're done with it, take that cue end the scene and move it on. I think that's important because if you drag it off for too long, it just, it gets ugly. Oh, it's so hilarious. I had Rob in my game and Robin, Robin, Julie. And if you don't know him or if you ever seen him, if you've been to game hole con or Gary con Rob, Rob's this big dude, bald head. And like, I just knew Rob would lose his shit eventually. 
Like, because right. because Fitz would go to like his truck, and he if you don't know who Tim Conway is, Tim Conway is an old comedian that used to be on the Carol Burnett show, and he used to play this old this old guy. And what he would do is he'd take these steps that were really really s- small, short short steps. And he'd be like, no, no, you based you based him on that. Yeah, they awesome. based him on that. So That's he'd be awesome. like, so he would he would go to the car or go to the car to check out the the tire, and he'd be it'd take him forever to get there. And then he would go and get a tool and it would take him forever to get there. And then he would forget a tool. So he had to go back. So these guys are like, just tell me the tool. Give me the toolbox here. I'll grab it. And you could see the impatience and the players just like, oh, I'm just going to strangle this guy. <laughs> but they knew That's they awful. knew they didn't want to like, you know, shoot old poor Fitz for no reason. But they could have. You never know. So the- <laughs> Absolutely could have. So apart from building a random encounter as far as like, hey, add it to your um, random encounter toolbox, right? Um, having him talk. The other thing I've done with great success is that when the party encounters someone who is an obvious foe, be it a bad guy, a mobster, a gang, a group of gangs, uh, gang members, whatever, a group of gangs, it just sounds stupid, a uh, group of gang members, whatever it is. <clears throat> and they say, look, give me the car and I'll let you go. And he's got his Glock pointed at you. You're like, okay, so he wants my Porsche. Do I give that to him and let him take it? Is it worth me as a spy blowing my cover and shooting this fool? Because I could do that. I've got like, you know, nice black agent ninja fucking Jason Bourne skills. I could kill this dude. Is it worth doing that? Or should I just give him my goddamn car and I can walk the block and half it's going to take? It's a distraction. It's a decision point for players. And for, and for player characters, like, what are they going to do in this situation? So you can start off a com, a combat scenario leading with a social component. Do this, and I will let you go free. Um, I'm sorry I can't let you pass. I don't want to fight you, but I will if you do this thing. You know, it's kind of you walk up to military installation. You see two MPs outside the doors. You can talk to them, right? You can start the encounter socially. They say, I need to see your ID. Sean says, well, I don't have my ID. I can't let you in, sir. I'm sorry. Well, I'm a lieutenant colonel. I'm sorry, sir. Without my ID, I can't let you in. And he's got it. He's got his, you know, he's got his M16. He's ready. You know, what do you do from there? It could escalate. It might not. But if you start combat encounters, especially with intelligent foes, with the social aspect of it, it adds a new twist, in my opinion, to the combat encounter. And it can take it from combat where the charisma person, the bard or whomever is the face man in a spy type of game or a, even a sci-fi game can step up and have that social encounter with the military police outside the installation. And next thing you know, you're in the building because you fast talked them. You didn't have to fight them. Um, <clears throat> the con- this, that encounter could escalate to combat, but it doesn't necessarily need to because the power of the social encounter that you can, that you can invoke there. So Sean, what do you do? How do you do it when you've got you've got your barbarian or your fighter type player who doesn't give two shits about talking to anybody? They just want to punch everybody in the face. What do you do with that? When the social encounter? Oh God. <laughs> I shoot him. They didn't do anything. I shoot him. I expect I kill him. <laughs> so I think honestly, I think that's a bigger problem in uh in my opinion anyway, when you have a whole group of I shoot them. Right, you get a whole group of ta- at the table. Okay, I fucking kill him, and they look around. Everybody's like, "Yep, kill him." All right. Well, I guess that's the way the group's going to play tonight. The other, so I guess what I'm what I'm saying is, I think the social encounter is a great opportunity to provide spotlight 
to those characters that have spent all those points and built that social encounter monster character who has, you know, he knows, um, he knows the nobility. He knows all the latest stories. He's got all the gossip. He's got intrigue skills up the wazoo. And when he's invited to this gala event at the noble family's home, he can schmooze and work his way through the dance floor. And yeah, the fighter might, he might get drugged along and might be bored for a while, but you can run a couple quick social encounters through there. Give that socialite character, the face man or woman, give he or she a lot of advantage, a lot of opportunity to apply their trade, learn their stuff. And then, uh, and then have ninjas kick in the door and let the fighter beat somebody up or do something like that. But I think those without social encounters, those characters who want to build face men or a bard or somebody who's very talky or likes to do that stuff. If you don't provide those social encounters, those players will feel cheated. Like they never really had a chance to do much. Otherwise they're like, well, I should have just played another fighter. Why was I ever doing this thing? You said it was going to be, there's going to be intrigue in this game in the city. I had an opportunity to talk to somebody at the spaceport. And um, the only way to get answers was to kill people. What's the, what's the point? You know, why did I bother to take all these social skills and, schmoozing and all that stuff. So Sean, do you, let me ask you this. When you look at a, an encounter and adventure you're going to run, do you map out social encounters? Do you think about that ahead of time? Or do you think more combat encounters just let the social ones happen organically? What do you do? I don't know if I necessarily plan it. I mean, they may run into an encounter or they may be sent to meet with somebody. So as soon as that's kind of premise, uh, the premise of the, the next step or the next encounter, um, the, you know, I, so I think it's part of the adventure because let's face it, if you're doing, if you're running a campaign or running an adventure, not every, every hop, I call them hops, every encounter, I guess you could say is going to be combat. It just isn't going to be always combat. Otherwise you're playing the wrong game. Just go and play a miniatures tactical war game squad based or whatever and just do that all night I agree. Um, because i think i mean don't get me wrong you could have combat in every single one and all night long and that's kind of your group's thing and that's cool but role-playing games typically have something that's in between there that's really not like you're going to meet a mr or mrs johnson you're going to run into you know shadow run that's going to be the case um in in if you're in a town adventure of for your fantasy RPG, you're going to run into miscellaneous people. I mean, you might run into a pickpocket, you know, and it may turn into yep. like I'm going to smash their face. But you know, you, that's all dependent upon the characters too. So as a game master, you may think it's like a social encounter, but it may not be if the players want to, you know, go to blows. Well, you know, they get arrested, social encounter, right? They get manacled, yep, tied absolutely. up. You know, they get, uh, what is it? That shit escalates fast if you do it wrong. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, what is it when you, what is it, gang, not gangplank, what is it? Gang press them. Oh, press, press gang, gang yeah. yeah. press gang, you know, they're just, they may get knocked next out or something. You know you're in the army. Yeah, next thing you know, you're on a ship somewhere in the middle of the sea and, well, you could try to fight your way off, but. <laughs> I think the, go very far. I think if you want to, if you've got, how do I do this? So when I've run games in the past and people have like, look, we want to get through this social encounter because it's like, okay, boom, 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 boom. They want to keep moving past a couple things. Sometimes a social encounter 
doesn't have to be a wonderful improv session on the game master's perspective. It can be just be a simple mechanic check. Give me your influence roll. Oh, good. You roll that you influence this person or you browbeat them or whatever, or spend your point and you get the data. I like to have the players at least explain or describe to me what it is they're trying to accomplish so that I can, if you actively <clears throat> in those social encounters, look at the face person and say, oh, she's trying to really push the um, push this person to talk to them using her knowledge of cop talk and blah, blah, blah. So I'll give, uh, I'll, I'll give her a, a bonus on that. I'll give Sarah a bonus. So Sarah, good, good story. I'll give you a plus two on your role. Okay, good. They feel rewarded and that you're paying attention to their role-playing aspects. They're paying attention so that they can use all their really cool social encounter skills. And the other piece, honestly, for me is that the social encounters is where I started um, <laughs> when I needed to buy time as a game master. I'm like, ah, shit, I'm not quite sure what to do. The players are pushing pretty hard. I'm going to throw a random social encounter in their face, have something kind of interesting happen, improv, just distracting to slow the pace down. I've used it for pacing. Um, the other thing, though, is that I learned a lot on how to improv and make up shit completely off the cuff through social encounters. Because when somebody meets somebody, you decide, well, let's let's see how much they want to, how much they want to know about this lady who sells, you know, baked goods in, on the street. Oh, her name's Sally. Okay, great. Hey, Sally, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. Well, you know me, I've got, you know, the old hips bugging me a little bit. Oh, that's cool. Sally's got a bad hip. Um, would you like some coffee again? Like last year? Yeah, yep. I'll take some coffee. Okay, cool. Off we go. That is, you, you make it up, you come up with a personality, a couple of traits, a few things like that. And when you do that often enough in the social encounters that you build, what you end up doing, in my opinion, anyway, is then you end up uh, sharpening your own chops as a game master for when you really need it, for when the bad guy needs to have a kick-ass personality. You have a store of them. You have a host of these things, and it's not new to you. You've done it a thousand times in teeny little small ways all along the path so, so that every time you do it, your social encounters get sharper and better and more interesting. You can turn it up a notch and they can learn all about Sally, her husband and the kid that's no good all the way down to her name's Sally. You buy stuff and you move on. So I think there's it, social encounters have such great depth and breadth that you can take them to. If the players want to go there, great. And sometimes it's fine not to do it. But again, to, in my opinion, the best thing about a social encounter is they have to get something out of it. They have to get knowledge, either specific to the story, the setting, um, or the uh, and or they actually <laughs> and on a bonus, the NPC gets knowledge from you because you say something stupid, and the bad guys are overhearing or whatever the case is. So that's kind of how I see it. What do you think, Sean? Anything else? Yeah, no, I think like, Fitz doesn't do any of that. Fitz just kind of throws his old monkey wrench in the thing and delays the party, maybe gives them some things to think about on how to handle things. It just throws an obstacle in front of them on how they want to handle it. They could let Fitz do his thing or they could throw him in the trunk with the other guy. They could, you know, um, just, yeah. is this problem solved with a 38 special or is this problem solved with a hammer? Is this problem solved with a $50 bill? I don't know. I don't know. Or it is. Or do I just let Fitz fix the damn tire and let me go on the way? I'm not quite sure what I do. Or they fix the tire wise Fitz like watches them. Making sure they don't need any help. Yeah. You sure you got that, kids? Oh, no, no, that's not how you do it. You don't do that star pattern. You're lugging at one, then five, then six. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I get it. I get incentivized. So I think that's the other. I get, in I get inspired. Incentivized. I get inspired. 
by some of the people that I do phone interviews with every day. <laughs> I could see that. Holy Why shit. Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about your cat? Why are we here about that? Guy talked for 30 minutes straight without a breath. Did you get everything? Yeah, I didn't even ask a question. <laughs> Wasn't that? Couldn't get a word in edgewise. I have no idea what you wanted to say. I think um, the last piece I've got is don't forget in social encounters the nonverbal clues, right? So your descriptive powers, if you're not good at improv personalities and so on, don't be afraid then as a game master, you should just use your descriptions. Where are you meeting this individual? Where's the conversation happening? Is it a busy street corner? Describe that. Is it in a busy spaceport hub? Is it in a back alley somewhere in the streets, mean streets of Avalon? Is it... Is this person nervous? Do they have an odd temperament? Maybe you can't do an accent, but explain the fact that they stutter a lot. Maybe you don't want to stutter because you feel uncomfortable stuttering um, or forcing something, or it's not a cadence of speech you're used to, but say they're always whispering and looking over their shoulder very nervously. That changed the entire conversation. You can take that social encounter and, my, and ratchet it and make it cool, even if you don't want to do funky voices or ham-fisted acting. Just nonverbal clues that everybody gives off makes that social encounter more memorable and helps to point the player characters towards knowledge, right? The person is nervous. They're afraid. Why are they nervous and afraid? Well, I'm asking about, you know, a possible vampire in my Night's Black Agents game. Maybe they're connected to that. Maybe they're just a crackhead and they're kind of nervous by nature at this point. Who knows? But all those nonverbal clues in a social encounter are, are pretty important. And that gives the that gives the fighter and the barbarian in the background. Make a perception check while Sean's talking to him. Kevin rolls. I got a I got a 16. Why? You notice every time he talks to Sean, he keeps um, you know, reaching behind his back and he's scratching his lower back. Really? Yeah. Get him, get him, get him. <laughs> exactly. Is he reaching for a piece? What's going on? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. And that draws the barbarian and the fighter. It's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Again, no matter what kind of world you're playing, that fighter type goes, wait a minute, is he reaching for a gun? Is he reaching for a sword, a knife? And that gets that person involved in the social encounter, even if all they're doing is watching really intently, making multiple perception checks while Sean's character speaks away. So that's another fun bit. So, all right, man, I think we've beat this one for a while. Let's move on. eh? Yeah, let's get to die roll. Bam. Die roll two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery or inspiration we want to bring and share with you. We've got, uh, I've got a three this week. We've got three from listeners. Brett, you want to do the listeners? Yes, I'll do listeners because I came up short. I talked enough for the last one. I'll give the listeners some credit here. Sean, you go first, sir. All right. Star Wars Rogue One Sourcebook for D6 system done by Eric Troutman. Uh, I give a hat tip to Wayne for posting this on Google+. Plus. Uh, definitely a, a look if you're running D6 Star Wars or you're a fan of that game. Uh, Eric did it up pretty nice. Somebody asked him to do like a stat for something, and then he went crazy and did the whole thing. I don't know. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, second one, the Downtown Data Heist, an adventure for the Sprawl RPG. So I'm just posting this out there because I came across it. it this, if you're not familiar with the Sprawl, it's a uh, Powered by the Apocalypse cyberpunk game. And so it was kickstarted a little while ago. I got a copy, but somebody put out an adventure uh, link in the show notes to the drive through It's an affiliate link, so we get a little something-something if you do buy that. But nonetheless, I thought it was kind of cool, and I might check it out. And my last one, 
50 Mysterious First Contacts for Cyberpunk. So I don't know why I got Cyberpunk this week, but um, for Cyberpunk Games by Geist. So the same individual, I, th- I think Geist put out the the one that's out on his, um, the, we mentioned it in die roll before the augmented reality. Yes. Augmented reality. Yep. That's a RPG. Yep. Yeah. And I think he, I think I did that one, but anyways, so we pointed that out, but anyways, there's a D 100, uh, or use it percentile to come up with 50 different contacts. So roll 47, a message flashes up on the PC's device, simply stating a time and date along with an exclusive restaurant's address and a table number. Give me another roll. 23. Insidious subliminal advertising compels one or more PCs to be at a sumo food synth burger joint next to a busy monorail hub at 3 a.m. tonight. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so a lot of mysterious first contacts that you can use for an awesome cyberpunk game, whether it be Shadowrun or something else. I've mentioned this on the show before. Sci-fi and cyberpunk are tough genres for me because I don't. that's not like a go-to genre for me. So these types of things I find really valuable just to having that list. And once I get used to it, then I can ad lib off of it. And I can do my usual improv off the cuff style. But this having to having these 50 things to look at is a great start just to be able to build things off of it. That's really cool. All right, listeners, Jim Fitzpatrick points out Dronestagram. Got a link in the show notes here. I have not seen this one. So yet. think inst- so, think Instagram only pictures drone from drones. Oh, that's cool. Those are neat looking photos too. Very cool. And honestly, images on the internet, on the interwebs, right? You grab that stuff, throw it on your tablet. When the players say, what does this castle look like? It looks like this. And you hold that up. It's really, really cool. Next up, Tim Shorts has been taking notes on a beginner's guide to body snatching. I put this out before. Did you? I did. Oh, but we'll shit. call it out again. That's okay. This is really cool. It's um. This is one of those pieces where it's a it's an education grave rob grave robbery, and uh, a bit of uh, some of the grisliest history on uh and on some of the medical components. Um, I think it's worth honestly. I think it's kind of worth bringing up again because it's one of those pieces when you talk about social encounters and hidden agendas that NPCs may or may, ha- may, or may not have. This is it's good stuff. I remember. Shane, I remember coming oh, up. I had it. Remember having it come up before because I told I said something about a beginner's guide and him being. Obviously, if he's reading that, he's a beginner, but do we really know he's a beginner? I don't know. Yeah. I wrote this guide. Right. Um, (laughs) Suddenly, Tim's FBI is not going to Tim's source. Sorry, Tim. Sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry in advance. Um, Shane F uh, via Andrew Cousins on G Plus points out that Mazes and Minotaurs is now free on RPG Now. Link in the show notes to that free revised version of Mazes and Minotaurs. So that is available for free on DriveThru RPG right now. Yeah. Cool, man. That's it. So uh, thanks for tuning in. What are we talking about next week, Brett? Well, next week, Sean has been talking about this for a while. I want to do kind of a series, if you will. And it's not going to be like every show back to back to back. I want to talk about some player focus components of it. And we want to talk about fighters next time. So we'll do a little bit more of what we want to do, kind of go through a breakdown of what the focus, the player's focus components will be. Hopefully some organization to it. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> and then uh, we'll get into fighters and talk about those those guys for a while. And then we'll jump back to the regular obnoxious banter that we usually have. So we'll see it, how it goes. The first in our player series. Exactly. First in the player series. That's right. Well, hey, 
Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. If you uh, subscribe or you don't subscribe, make sure you do subscribe. Even if you're tuning into YouTube, go over to iTunes, go over to Google Play, hit subscribe, go to Stitcher. That's where we kind of bubble up in some of the, the, the rankings is if you subscribe. So please, if you don't do that, even if just you have a player and you don't want to listen to us on your player, just subscribe and then like download zero episodes or something like that. But anyways. Subscriptions are great. I mean, reviews are good. You know, people who join us on Patreon and uh, help us out that way, that's awesome. But honestly, just, you know, keep listening. Tell your friends about us. That's the best way that we've got a lot of different listeners is people telling people about us because that's how this hobby works and that's how things get moved around so hey if you like us enough and you know somebody else who might like us that would be great yeah thanks everybody we appreciate it i'm one of your hosts sean and i'm brett good night and good game and all this episode and many others were brought to you with the help from the following patrons christian sexy voice serrano kevin lovecraft joe swick brett's biggest fam jeff rodemacher forrest Gary, mark anthony benedetti bruce cunnington eric jeppesen andy hall sean nicholson tim jensen Chris Steele, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Bellado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Mirko Froehlich, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, Chad Knight, Dan Lavalley, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Abruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Tony the Butcher Baker, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Braslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, the Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Stephen Dragonspawn, and Jared Rasher. For the price of a coffee shop coffee, you could support the show for an entire month. Consider heading over to GamingMPS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks, patrons. Thanks, listeners. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.